Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. Hello and welcome. This is the Merrick's podcast. I'm Claudia Wessling, Director of Communications and Publications at Merrick's. And today I am joined by my very dear colleague, Abigail Vassilier. Abigail is the Director of Policy and European Affairs and Head of Program of the Merrick's research team on China's foreign relations. Welcome to the show, Abigail. Thanks, Claudia. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, so am I. Great that you're joining me today. Um, Abigail, we'll talk about a forthcoming event that is really very crucial for EU-China relations. EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen and European Council President Charles Michel will fly to China for a meeting on December 7th and 8th. First summit held in person for years in that format. So it's going to be interesting. They will be met by Chinese President Xi Jinping. Um, Li Qiang will be there to chair the meetings. So a lot to be expected, but we all also know that there's a lot of geopolitical tension going on right now. EU-China relations are not at its best. Um, at the same time, China has sent a couple of signals to charm the Europeans. So um, really exciting days lie ahead of us. Um, and you're an expert for EU-China relations, having worked at the um, EEAS for a while. Um, so happy to hear your insights today. And let's maybe get to my first question. Um, what topics will they discuss to begin with? And what does Europe want to achieve? What does China want to achieve? Thanks, Claudia. I'm first of all very excited to be in the podcast because when I was sitting on uh, the other side as an official, I was a big fan of Merrick's podcast. So it's an honor to be here um, and to basically chip in on uh, on that debate as well. What's on the menu? I think the um, EU-China summit have more or less a set menu, a set format um, that is put at the table. You always um, start by discussing bilateral relations, then Then you dive into trade and economic issues, digital issues, foreign and security policy, and then you tackle global challenges. And like this gives you an encompassing um, discussion. The question is always, what does each other side want? And I think we have come to a point in our bilateral relations where both sides know that um, expectations should be kept very low. The Chinese offer to Europe uh, these days is very limited, and that's due to the geopolitical context indeed. Um, next year, there will be U.S. elections, so there are uncertainties as regard the U.S. direction. They just had the APEC summit between Biden and Xi Jinping, and the Chinese offer for Biden, we saw it, it was already very limited. So the Chinese side will not have a tremendously bigger offer to Europe than it had to the US side. And on the European, what does Europe want from China? I think if you were to ask me, I would say for China to address structural challenges that we have, uh, let's China deal with reciprocity, with um, the asymmetry in openness of our system, level playing fields, unfair trade practices. That's what we want from China. But China is not at the rendezvous, and that makes the Europeans having much lower expectations. So what exactly is China offering at the moment? On the trade side, um, what they are putting at the table is not at all to address structural issues, but to give some 
positive signal for European companies to stay. So for instance, they are ready to discuss data localization requirements and that's key to reassure European companies. We saw it during the second high-level um, digital dialogue that that was something China was ready to be open uh, for. I think China is also ready to offer some market access and we saw it during the high-level economic dialogue when Dombrovskis was in China, there were some open opening on wine and spirits, on infant formula, on cosmetics. And this are continuing having discussions with the Chinese on market access is positive, but should be taken for what it is, which are minor elements that the Chinese are ready to offer. China is not addressing level playing field with that. Um, that's extremely clear on uh, on the trade side. There are a lot of expectations on the European side when it comes to the Chinese offer on climate. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think if we were to secure something like what the Chinese gave to the Americans, it would do two things. First of all, it would secure China's climate commitment beyond the US-China um, dynamics. And we have seen between Obama and Trump how important it was to have Europeans in the room when it comes to climate commitment. So first to triangulate that. And then because climate has been the good story that the Europeans have put forward, and it's for the Chinese side to nurture that. Well, climate is a very important topic indeed, and we also have the COP28 conference happening basically at the same time. I mean, the high-level meetings will happen this weekend. Do you expect big discussions on the issue at the summit, which is one week later, so there's a lot of things going on in parallel? I think preparation for COP28 um, to be done jointly, that's one element. I think there is a second element that has to do me with methane, which has been a key offensive interest for Europeans to have the Chinese being part of the Global Methane Initiative. And if today the Chinese were to say, To the Europeans, we commit to that the same way as we have committed in front of Biden. That would be something extremely positive to be at the table. And then there is um, the whole dimension, which is uh, how does China intend to reach its um, climate commitment um, in the framework of the Paris Agreement, where on this we are ready to work together. And then on climate, it's, it's an interesting topic because you also have all the defensive elements that has to do with um, technology, obviously, which is a key irritant in the bilateral relationship and is here to stay. Yeah, complicated issues. I mean, the climate topic. But I mean, what is good at the end of the day, there is a bit of movement. Um, you have mentioned the meeting of uh, Xi Jinping and Joe Biden already. Um, and there were, well, commentators were not sure what this really meant, this meeting, according to my take, at least. Um, some say, hey, this was clear rapprochement. They are trying to get along better with each other. On the other hand, there was also tensions about topics like Taiwan and clear, clearly visible that China and the US are still in different camps on that. Um, how does this Xi-Biden meeting affect Europe-China relations, if at all? What would be your take? 
My take is that every time you have a moment of rapprochement in the US-China relationship, then Europe loses its room for maneuver. And this is um, why I started by saying the Chinese offer to Europe cannot be bigger than the Chinese offer to the US. That's just simple um, triangulation. And the benchmark for China, the most important relationship to manage today is vis-a-vis -vis the US. And as a Chinese think tanker told me recently Europe is at the end of the day only a variable in the China-US dynamics um, and it's like a vote That's quite to a gain. bummer <laughs> Yes, um, but I think that's the way uh, we are seen. And the question for Europe is how do we manage to leverage that position? I think it's okay to admit that we are just a parameter of China-US dynamics as long as we leverage us in a way that's basically put forward and defend our interests. And that's why we are walking into the summits as Europeans, as President van der Leyen said, in good faith, in the sense that Europe has done its work, has an offer for China, yes, a limited one, but we are things to put on the table. And most importantly, we are ready to enter into that summit with an understanding that we are also going to um, explain to China where we stand in terms of European policy. And we have become more complex in our dealing with China. And it's important for the Chinese side to understand, for instance, that overcapacity in China is going to have consequences on European policy on China. And yes, we are going to put barriers to this. And at the end of the day, China perceiving Europe as a protectionist bloc, this is related to the impact that China's economic trajectory has on us. The investigation, they are related to subsidies. So the potential future investigation, they could be related to overcapacity as well. Export control, same. We are being extremely reactive. And by explaining this, we are also putting back the question to the Chinese, how much do you want to address that for Europe to also lift this form of barriers? Yeah, I don't know, maybe I'm overly pessimistic. I do not expect any great outcomes from this very meeting, but at least it's a first first opportunity to, dis to discuss even these conflicted issues. And by talking about overcapacities, you probably also refer to e-vehicles being produced in China, where um, car producers over here in Germany are afraid that these products might at some point very soon hit our markets and really create fierce competition over here. Um, let me maybe move on to the, it's, it's closely linked. I mean, in China, there is this um, a a bit of rebuttal of, or a bit, a, a lot of rebuttal of the European concept of de-risking. China keeps saying, hey guys, we do not understand what you want, what this is. Uh, on the other hand, von der Leyen, President von der Leyen keeps stressing her agenda in that field. Um, how do you think discussions about de-risking will be picked up at this uh, summit? I think... Um We have been extremely open with the Chinese not to take them by surprise in terms of explaining the risking is not decoupling. This is what the risking is going to look like. That was the purpose of the April uh, visit of President van der Leyen to China to explain to the Chinese this is 
what European de-risking is going to look like. And from that, you can once again position yourself in addressing some issues, but you also cannot be um, surprised in that. And I have to say, the Chinese have come as well to deal with the Europeans with a degree of complexity that shows that they have understood what the risking means. Actually, they are the master they are of the risking themselves. They are the risking themselves, yeah. yes. Uh, and they are probably um, the inventor of what the risking means. So they actually know um, what we are doing. I see that in my view, they have um, a little, very little problem to say, yes, we acknowledge that as long as it does not impact our strategic goals. And this is where the Chinese red line may be. If Europe wants to de-risk, that's okay, because at the end of the day, it concerns only a very um, a very small amount of trade that we are actually talking about when it comes to de-risking. But if Europe allows China to reach its strategic goal to become this technological leader by 2035, then de-risking is completely okay. Yeah, Can Europe do that? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what the meeting brings. Um, getting to complex or complicated or confrontational issues at the meeting, do you think Taiwan will be much of an issue? The tensions in the Taiwan Straits that have recently made headlines and are cause for much discussion also here in policy circles. Taiwan is a fairly new discussion in EU-China relations, so you trace it back from three years ago. And that is a space where that we have opened with the Chinese as European to start having discussions on what Taiwan means for Europe, on what, um, how does Europe intend to deal with cross-trade relations. So three years of putting Taiwan on the table in an extremely um, differentiated way and we saw it during the last visit the way it was raised so um, Europeans are extremely um, uh, pragmatic but also extremely cautious when it comes to dealing with Taiwan and the approach of the union is to say uh, to reassure China that um, EU's commitment to its one China policy and at the same time being also very honest with the Chinese and saying Taiwan is a like-minded partner so we are going to deepen our cooperation with Taiwan and in that sense the moment there is tension in the Taiwan Straits this is by default going to have tremendous impact on us. And that space for Europe to raise the Taiwan issue and the trajectory that the Chinese saw for Taiwan with the Chinese leadership is a very thin one. And it's also because it means dealing with an over-securitized approach from the US side when it comes to dealing with Taiwan, a stance that um, G7 members and the EU is part of this have taken on Taiwan, defending that space and also um, the European Union dealing with this very new issue. And we saw it in the case of um, Chinese coercive measures against Lithuania. We need to become better at dealing with Taiwan and we need to ensure that that space for discussion and engagement with China on Taiwan remains. So I see it as a topic for the summit, but unlike the Biden-Xi Jinping summit, I see it as... Um, 
Europe opening that space rather than a highly contested um, discussion. And I think if you were to ask me on foreign and security policy, the most contested discussion is going to be over the war in Ukraine. You think that's going to be a topic? China's position on this is uh, still quite, well, pro-Russian, one might say. Um, do you think the Chinese might budge on this um, with a view to the European position, knowing that Europe, that this is really an issue for Europe? I think this has, for a long time, in Ch many Chinese politicians were not so aware how important the whole situation is for Europeans, but now this has maybe changed. So would you expect any signals here? What has changed, in my view, is that uh, not so much the official level, but at the expert level, experts can recognize that China's support to Russia has and is going to have a tremendous impact on EU-China relations. And this is already a shift compared to last year's summits. So that's, I think, where The, the, the starting ground of the conversation. Then the second element is over the course of the past two years, the Chinese have come to realize that China's direct military support to Russia is today European red line. And already the economic and political support is turning our trajectory into, um, into a certain direction, there would be a European policy on China post-war in Ukraine, whatever the format is, but you can see how it's going to have an impact in China and how much it's having an impact in the European mindset on China. So that's a clear trajectory. And I see it as a point of contention because today um, the war in Ukraine has a long-term impact on our security and stability as Europeans. There are open questions as regard US security guarantees in Europe. So so this is, uh, for Europeans, really a paradigm shift when it comes to thinking our security and our stability. And in that sense, when your first trading partner is actually supporting the country that you perceive as a threat that is challenging the stability of your continent, there is no way back. There is no way back to a business as usual, let's trade with China. So it means that um, the European leaders at the summit will have to to transmit that to the Chinese leadership. It's not going to make Xi Jinping budge on that because the um, the relationship between uh, Presidents Putin and Xi Jinping is strong enough. I do think that in the Chinese system, there are voices that are actually showing some um, distance vis-à-vis -vis that uh, position. And this is where it's important for Europe not to give up on this and be extremely realist um, and pragmatic when it comes to raising this issue. So yes, it's an issue for Europe. Yes, it's a point of contention because we all We'll see how this is going to have a long-term impact on our trajectory, but there is a high degree of realism inside the European Union that we are not going to change Xi Jinping's mind on this. He's set to support uh, Putin, a, a failure or a defeat of Russia in Ukraine would be a defeat by default for the Chinese president, so that's clearly cannot happen, uh, but a victory of Russia over Ukraine would also have consequences in the dynamics, right? So mm -hmm. 
it's about finding that middle ground and for Europe to invest in the space we have on that. That will be very challenging, I would assume, um, also given the fact that um, while well, there's a lot of talk about China and Russia teaming up in the UN to get certain wordings through, to get certain decisions through, and um, that also shows you that whatever signal is being given in terms of, hey, Europeans, we understand your position on Ukraine, is also kind of superficial because at the end of the day, Russia is the partner for Xi Jinping. So, yeah. Also a bit of conflict to be expected at the summit, I assume. Um, Abigail, if we just briefly look beyond this summit, how do you expect relations to develop in 2024? How will they go out of this? Will, will it look worse than now? Or will there be a slight improvement and maybe a bit of middle ground from where to start um, to shape future relations in a less conflicted way? Or will we just continue <laughs> business as usual and with difficult relations with China? I think you have a series of elections in 2024 that makes this year very... In Europe, in the US... <laughs> And in, in Taiwan. Taiwan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that makes uh, uh, 2024 a super interesting year for us, um, China watchers and think tankers. Um, it does mean that, um, we are going to have elections on Taiwan that are going to have implications on immediate implications on the Taiwan Straits and implications on the US-China dynamics, because that's probably where the point of contention is. At the same time, the Chinese are extremely aware that um, Biden is going to enter into presidential campaign mode, so he cannot afford to lose the bipartisan consensus on China, and China cannot become a topic of extreme divide in the election for him. So there will be a careful calibration in 2024. At the same time, we are ourselves going to have elections. We need to look at what's going on domestically in Europe to then realize that it's going to be... Um, extremely tricky elections for uh, moderate parties and that's going to trigger uncertainties on the Chinese side of where Europe is going. It's going to trigger uncertainties on the Chinese side of where the US are going and this, we both know, uncertainties is something that the Chinese system does not react well to it. So the best case scenario is that in Beijing, they sit tight and watch 2024 pass. Um, and that then you have a new administration, a new commission, and there will be certainly reflection on what the commission, this commission has done right when it comes to dealing with China. And a lot can be said about what has changed throughout that mandate and um, how much lessons learned we have. And and what's going to be the starting point of that commission, which is a very different one from when van der Leyen started this new mandate. And in parallel to this, you will have a new US administration. And I think the Chinese perceive that this is a lost year. 2024 is a lost year. The bipartisan consensus makes them believe that their priority vis-a-vis -vis the US is to manage the relationship for at least the next um, US presidential mandate. And this can be better or worse, manageable or less manageable. And when it comes to Europe, we are going to be in between that. And the question is, 
Can Europe seize the window of opportunity that is going to exist in the next mandate to basically um, gain what we can gain in terms of low-hanging fruit with China? Can we exploit that while at the same time ensuring that in Europe we are getting China right, that in Europe we are um, addressing the fact that China has become a socio-economic challenge for Europe? And that's we are at this stage only realizing that China has become a socioeconomic challenge. We are only realizing how much China knowledge and expertise is missing in Europe to then be able to address that. So honestly, if we were to look at it, if we had five years to get ready um, and to equip Europe in dealing with China, I think that would be a success. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope for the best. Um, at least we at Merix try to contribute to improving China knowledge and getting China right. So um, let's see if we manage to really make it worthwhile and make it happen here. Um, Abigail Vassalier, thank you for being on the show today. And to our listeners out there, please follow our EU-China analysis in the days to come. We will have a close look at the EU-China summit and what happens afterwards. Thank you, Claudia, for having me. It was fun. Thanks, Abigail, and hope to see you soon in this studio. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Bye. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merricks.org.